Hello, and welcome to The Bible and Culture, a podcast that combines a life-shaping study of the scriptures, the authentic ministry of Christian poetry, and practical observations of our culture. I'm Vernon L. Harper, minister, poet, and author. Join me in exploring content that builds the Christian life, equips the Christian poet, and explores issues important to us all. Thank you for tuning in, and God bless. Today's episode is entitled, God's Judgment and Mercy, and it is part one of a three-part series entitled, Mercy, Judgment, and Purpose. Today's episode examines the nature of God's judgment and the conditions of His mercy. This is a difficult subject that everyone seems to have an opinion on. The reality is what many of us envision as the nature of God's judgment and the conditions of His mercy is just a reflection of the nature of our own judgment and the the conditions of our own mercy. In this lesson, we will examine in his own words what God in the flesh says about the subject. We will include in our scripture reading the entire story of the prodigal son. The various parts of the story reveal to us different aspects of the nature of God's judgment and the conditions for his mercy. We will divide this long scripture reading into shorter parts and examine them individually in the lesson. Then at the end of the lesson, we will pull together the entire picture of the nature of God's judgment and the conditions for his mercy and see what God has said to us. The poem for today's episode is entitled Seven Poem. Seven Poem is a haiku chain made up of seven haiku that give us vivid images of the poignant nature of the Christian life. It concludes with a declarative statement affirming God's goodness, even as we live through the joys and sadnesses of life. You can read about this poem in more detail at our HDIF page on Patreon. HDIF stands for Heart of David International Fellowship. And it is on our HDIF page on Patreon that you can access the rest of our pastoral ministry, our fellowship through voice and text chat, as well as become part of the HDIF community. Now on to the episode. Seven poem. One. Brown leaves fall from old oak. Air is warm in sun. Breeze whispers jagged ice. Two. Bright-eyed newlyweds laugh, hold hands, and know no thing but a forever. Three. Antique old man bends on aged church pew. Face carved in solemn contentment. Four. Christmas subtracts Maul's peach cobbler. Granddaughter's smile reflects in pie pans. Five. A teenage knife glints under red moon. Mother waits in door. Heart praying. Six. Hearing gospel heals like liquid love. Drowned swine lay prostrate on cliff's shore. Seven, even warm lives know jagged whispers. Miracle, Jesus makes life sweet. God's Judgment and Mercy Our lesson is found in Luke 15, 
verses 11 through 32. And it reads, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the paws that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. First of all, because the story of the prodigal son is so well known in culture, the word prodigal is associated with the story without necessarily being associated with its original definition. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, prodigal means spending money or resources freely and recklessly, wastefully extravagant. The sentence example they give us is prodigal habits die hard. So we immediately understand that the prodigal son's sin was wasting the resources given him by his father on extravagant or self-indulgent living. If we are not careful, we will mistakenly believe that the only resources he was wasting was his money. Just as it is with us, the least valuable God-given resource we can waste is money. Money has obvious value for all of us, but as valuable as it is, it is less valuable than the other resources God provides. Secondly, Jesus himself constructs this parable, and he only uses parables to teach us important truths. Jesus Teller makes each parable with characters and situations to reveal a particular truth. So, after examining the characters in this parable and the situation they find themselves in, we can be sure his intention here is to reveal to us something about how individual people relate to their heavenly father and how the heavenly father relates to the individual. In this parable, the prodigal son could be you or I, but the father in this story is definitely God. So when we take the resources God has divided to us from among his other children and waste them, we are like the prodigal son. One of those resources God gives us is time. Every one of us has been granted a specific amount of time to fulfill the purpose of God in the earth. All of us, whether we realize it or not, has a specific mission from God to fulfill. Contrary to popular belief, it is not just the Blues Brothers that are on a mission from God, but all of us are, whether we acknowledge it or not, we all have a specific assignment from God. Whether we spend the time of our life discovering and fulfilling that mission or living a prodigal life is a decision every human being is making every day they are alive. And being considered successful in this world is not at all related to whether you and I are fulfilling our God-giving purpose. The world is full of successful people using their God-giving skill to do something other than what God wants. How many performers were meant to use their God-given talent in the kingdom of God? How many originators of political, social, or even religious movements were meant to use their God-given talents for the kingdom of God? The enemy's main attack on humanity is to corrupt your and my given purpose. This is not to disparage entertainers, CEOs, or leaders of movement. 
This could very well be your or theirs God-giving purpose in the kingdom of God. What you are doing is not as important as who you are doing it for. If what you are doing is being done for the glory of God, so be it. If God is using you to be a good employee, be a good neighbor, or pray in your secret closet, and you are doing that full speed ahead and to the best of your ability, then you are fulfilling your God-given purpose. Are you applying your God-given talents to fulfill your own standards of success and personal desires, or are you applying your God-given talents for the glory of God? This is the only question any of us need to answer. If you are confused about what you think God wants you to do, then you are probably asking the wrong question. The question is not, what am I doing? But the question is, who am I doing it for? If you are doing it for God, amen. If you are doing it for any other reason, then repent. It's as simple as that. Spiritual warfare is the battle for your will. The enemy wants to make you waste your life on some prodigal purpose and all his efforts is bent on turning you away from the life God has for you. The moral of the story about the time we have been given in this world is to do what your hands find to do, but do it for the glory of God. The other resources the prodigal son wasted was relationship. Relationship with his father and relationship with his brother. The prodigal son's relationship with his father came with a host of benefits and advantages. Our relationship with God comes with a whole host of blessings and securities. This is not to say that your life will always be sugar and spice and everything nice. But what it does say is that God will be with you no matter what circumstance you find yourself in while passing through this fallen world. Healing of past trauma, deliverance from spiritual bondage, and peace in times of trouble are just a few of the benefits of life with our Heavenly Father. If we can say the prodigal son's brother represents our relationship in the body of Christ, then there are benefits of the relationship with our Christian brothers and sisters that are beyond counting. Prayer, encouragement, spiritual family are just a few of the benefits of residing in the body of Christ. When we leave our Heavenly Father, we may not realize the real cost of the loss of the benefits of relationship until we are suffering. Like the prodigal son, we may find ourselves far from our spiritual home, starving and alone. The enemy's trap is designed to keep you from noticing the gradual transition from the initial pleasures that looked like freedom to the reality of the bondage which ends in the suffering of the soul. The reality is that leaving your Heavenly Father may look like freedom, but it is the trap sprung the very second you stepped out the door. And here we find the true nature of God's judgment. God lovingly turning you over to that which you have chosen. The father's judgment of the prodigal son was lovingly giving him his inheritance and letting him go. A human being is the only thing in the universe that can refuse the command of God. The wind and the rain can't. Demons can't and the most powerful angels can't ignore the command of God. Angels and demons can leave God's presence, but they cannot ignore God's command. When a human being says no to God enough times, God turns them over to what they have chosen. This is the true nature of God's judgment. The father turned the prodigal son over to that which he had chosen. I can imagine the father would have known how his son would end up. It wouldn't be difficult to know his son's character and what would happen to him when he left. How much more does our Heavenly Father know where our own rebellion will take us? 
Yet our Heavenly Father reluctantly turns us over to the consequences of our own choosing. God will never violate human will, and for that reason, he will eventually turn the prodigal over to the consequences of their own choices. God never ceases to love us, even as he turns us over to the looming consequences of our own rebellious choice. Which brings us to the second part of today's scripture reading. Verse 17 through 19 reads, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The prodigal son was humbled by his circumstance. This is not always the case. God's judgment is always tempered with mercy, but the recipient of the judgment does not always respond with a humble heart. With every plague, God gave Pharaoh the chance to say yes to letting his people go. God sent Jonah to Nineveh and the Ninevites repented. In Genesis 15, 13 through 16, God told Abraham his descendants would not take the promised land right away because the sin of the Amorites had not reached its full measure. God was giving the Amorites time to repent. It was only when the Amorites continued rebellion was full that God sent Israel with his judgment. The prodigal son responded to his being turned over to that which he had chosen with repentance. At this point, it would have been easy for the prodigal son to believe he would not have been received by his father. As a matter of fact, he thought he had to negotiate his return with his father by demoting himself to becoming a hired hand. If we are not careful, we can believe that we have strayed so far from God that he will not receive us again. This brings us to the third part of the scripture. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robes and put it on him and put a ring on his head and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. You have never strayed so far from God that God will not receive you to his heart again. God is waiting for you to turn to him. And even while you are still afar off, your heavenly father will have compassion on you and run to meet you while you are yet on your path to him. I heard the Christian comedian Michael Jr. give a good illustration of how this all works. He said God is like a GPS navigation on your car. If your GPS navigation tells you to go 10 blocks and turn left, but you go 10 blocks and turn right. Your navigation doesn't abandon your destination. It just recalculates the past based on where you find yourself now. You may have to go over terrain that God didn't mean for you to have to cross. And if you keep making wrong turns, you delay your return to God's path. But God never gives up on you. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, what wrong turns you've taken, what your, your location is now. If you've drove over rugged terrain, had a collision, needed to call AAA or had to change your tire, God has never changed your destination. 
God has just recalculated your route. And the very second you begin to follow God, you are following your purpose. We think that our goals and destinations are what is most important to God, but it is the journey of your life that God cares most about. Like the prodigal son's father, once you are on the path toward him, God himself is rejoicing and running towards you. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and 7 that he had finished the race. From what we know of Paul, he was still relatively a young man and would have had many years of life and ministry in front of him. But the length of his journey was not as important as finishing the race God gave him. Paul could have looked back at his time of prosecuting the church, imprisoning the followers of Christ, and even presiding over the murder by stoning of God's servant Stephen. That happened in Acts 7, verse 54. But none of that was the point. What God counted is that Paul turned to God and followed the path given him. Which leads us to the fourth and final scripture in verse 25 through 31. And it reads, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked that th what these things mean. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours comes, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. There will always be those who focus on your past and ignore and even oppose God's future for your life. They object to you following God because they don't understand or care to understand the nature of God's judgment and the condition of his mercy. They want to label you through the nature of their judgment and the conditions of their mercy. This was his own brother, a member of his own household who was set against him. It is amazing to me that there are Christians who would rather see you be destroyed for your sin than to see you repent and turn to God. There are also Christians who can see you at your lowest point and have compassion as long as they can feel superior, but cannot tolerate you emerging in the grace of Jesus and God's appointment to purpose. We as Christians are called over and over again in scripture to love one another, show compassion and show mercy. If you see a member of the body of Christ returning to Christ, receive them with open arms and joy. If you yourself are on your journey home, know that your heavenly father is already running to meet you and celebrate your return. The moral of this story, my brothers and sisters, is that the nature of God's judgment is love and the condition for his mercy is only Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your tender mercies, your tender loving kindness for receiving us when we have been in a far country, for meeting us when we are on the road back to you. We thank you for blessing us and covering us and restoring us to your will and to your sonship. 
Now, Father, see those people who are out there, those people under the sound of my voice who may feel like they've strayed so far they can't come back to you. Remind them who you are and that you'll bring them back home. Encourage their hearts. Call them. Speak to them as they dream at night. Speak to them as they walk through their day. And as they are received, build them up in you. And we thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for all the hearts around the world and around this country and around this neighborhood that you are touching and blessing. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. blessed by this week's episode of the Bible and Culture. If you were, share this episode on social media and look us up on our HDIF Patreon page. HDIF on Patreon is where we have bonus episodes, the ability to chat, and the rest of our pastoral ministry. Thank you and God bless. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and presents you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.